You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Numbers chapter 22. Verses 1 through 6, Balak summons Balaam. Having secured the land in the Transjordan from the Arnon River in the south to the heights of Bashan in the north through military victories, the Israelites moved unimpeded to the plains of Moab in preparation for the assault on Canaan. The following three chapters center on a pagan prophet named Balaam. His oracles will reaffirm God's covenant to Abraham and his purpose to bless Israel in spite of the intents of their enemies to the contrary. Balak, son of Zippor, was king of Moab. The territory of Moab was east of the Dead Sea and south of the Jordan River. The Moabites were descendants of Lot. He received news of all that Israel had done to the Amorites in defeating King Og and King Heshbon and the king of Arad. He thought the same end awaited him and his people, not knowing that God had told Moses not to attack Moab. Deuteronomy 2.9 recalls this period. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war, for I will not give you any part of their land. I have given Ar to the descendants of Lot as a possession. He was terrified because there were so many people, over two million. The whole nation was filled with dread when they saw the Israelites approaching. God promised this would be the case. This very day I will begin to put the terror and fear of you on all the nations under heaven. They will hear reports of you and will will tremble and be in anguish because of you. The Moabites consulted with the elders of Midian, who were descendants of... um, Abraham through his concubine Keturah, and they lived south of Moab's border. They were in danger of being destroyed by Israel as well, so they joined with Moab in an alliance to defeat Israel. They said, This horde is going to lick up everything around us, as an ox licks up the grass of the field. They were sure they would be thoroughly obliterated. Seeing the obvious blessing of God on Israel, Balak thought he could counteract it. So desperate, he sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, a famous seer who was at Pithor, near the Euphrates River, in his native land. Balaam practiced divination and magic. Throughout scripture, he is referred to as a false prophet. As a side note, in 1967, archaeologists unearthed an Aramaic inscription from the 8th century BC that cites Balaam the prophet, thus showing that he was known broadly in his day. Balak said, A people has come out from Egypt. They covered the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. The Israelites were too close for comfort. Balak knew he was outnumbered and likely to suffer a military defeat, so he summoned Balaam to curse Israel, hoping that would bring about their downfall. A curse was a spoken word believed to bring misfortune down on the one spoken against. Balaam had a reputation of pronouncing curses that worked, or at least appeared to work. Also notice that Israel's exodus out of Egypt was a well-known fact, even 40 years later. Balaam will also mention this detail in his oracles. Verses 7-21, through God forbids Balaam to curse Israel. 
So the elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. He expected to hear from the gods of any peoples. Though Balaam uses the word Lord for Israel's God, referring to his covenant name, God uses the word God, indicating there was no relationship between himself and Balaam. God came to Balaam and asked, Who are these men with you? God never asks a question he doesn't already know the answer to, but only asks to engage with the person. Balaam answered, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people, because they are blessed. The next morning Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials, Go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak sent other officials, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. He wanted Balaam to feel important. They came to Balaam and said, This is what Balak the son of Zippor says, Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. Balak offers Balaam money to come and curse the children of Israel. He agrees, but God intervenes, telling him, You must not put a curse on those people, because they are blessed. He seems to refuse to go, but it's probably a ploy to get more money to tell Balak what he wants to hear. But Balaam answered them, Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. He appeals to God again, even though God had already told him not to go, because he was greedy for money. God lets him go, but with the command to relay only his message. That night God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. So Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. Just as God sometimes denies the requests of his people in love, he will grant the requests of his enemies in wrath. Verses 22 through 35, Balaam, the donkey, and the angel of the Lord. Even though God gave Balaam permission to go, this didn't mean that he approved of Balaam's actions. He knew his motives were not right and that he probably intended to do as Balaam asked, Balak asked. So God was very angry at him and sent the angel of the Lord to oppose him. He positioned himself in the road where Balaam was riding um, his, on his donkey. Balaam had two servants with him. Who is this angel of the Lord? We are introduced to this person many times in the Old Testament. He never appears in the New Testament because it's believed to be a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus Christ. We know God is spirit and doesn't have a body. Yet these instances where a representative of God is in human form and yet is worshipped as God in the Old Testament is referred to as a theophany or a Christophany. Anytime God chose to appear to people in human form as a theophany, they were always surprised they lived to tell of it. In the book of Genesis, we see some examples, both implicit and explicit. An implicit example 
includes Genesis 3.8, where it said, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is often misquoted to say that Adam walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day, but it's clear that it's God doing the walking. Another is in regards to the Tower of Babel. God said, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. It gives the impression that God came down to personally view this first civic building project and then frustrate their plans. The explicit examples of theophanies are the ones where the Lord appears to Abraham as a traveler and Abraham prepares food for him and his companions. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Then they walk together and God tells Abraham about his plan to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham appeals to God's mercy. Abraham knew he was speaking with the Lord. The other time is when the man who uh, wrestled with Jacob uh, is referred to himself as God and after he left, Jacob was mortified and said, It is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Also, the angel of the Lord speaks to several people from heaven, to Abraham and to Hagar. He also appeared to Abraham um, in Genesis 17 and to Isaac and to Jacob above the ladder and he spoke to Rebekah. He comes as a man to Joshua before the conquest of Canaan and identifies himself as a commander, the commander of the armies of the Lord. Joshua falls at his feet in worship. He accepts the worship and tells Joshua to remove his sandals because he is on holy ground. And yet another instance is in Judges 6 where the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. Once Gideon realizes who it was who had been speaking with him, he panics. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Again, in Judges 13, a man appears first to Samson's mother and then to both parents. They are also afraid. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. So these hints of the second person of the Trinity before the manger in Bethlehem give more proof that Jesus doesn't just show up in the final quarter of the Bible. So now we see the angel of the Lord again. It's not merely an angel who appears, but someone whose word is used interchangeably with the word of God. He also has the power of life and death in his hand. He is armed with a sword, which is similar to the commander of the army of the Lord, who appears to Joshua. In both cases, his sword is drawn. We also see an angel with a drawn sword over Jerusalem during the three-day plague following David's unlawful census. It's not over till he sheathes his sword. It says, When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get back on the road. Round one. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Round two. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Round three. 
Notice the donkey had enough sense to kneel before the angel of the Lord, while Balaam's response was to get angry and beat his animal. King Solomon says, The righteous care for the needs of their animals, but the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. The wicked can be so determined to sin that they are insensible to those who are trying to stop them for their own good. The donkey realized the danger to itself, so it sought to avoid the angel. Although it didn't realize it, by saving itself, the donkey spared Balaam as well. Then we have a miracle. The Lord opened the donkey's mouth so it could communicate with Balaam. It asked him, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? What I find most incredible about this count isn't that a donkey spoke, but that Balaam answered him right away, as if this was a common occurrence. Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. The rhetorical question to follow then is, Then why did you beat me? Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. God allowed Balaam to see the unseen like the donkey had. Both he and the donkey knew enough to bow down in worship. Then the angel of the Lord asked him the question the donkey wanted answered. Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Balaam had said if he had a sword in his hand, he would have killed his donkey. But the angel did have a sword in his hand and would have killed him and spared his donkey had the donkey not acted appropriately. Finally, realizing the mortal danger he was in, Balaam admitted, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now if you are displeased, I will go back. He was finally submissive and willing to do as God said. So the angel of the Lord said, Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. That this had to be repeated suggests that he hadn't been planning to, to speak whatever God told him. Verses 36 through 41, preparing for his first oracle. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town on the Arnon border at the edge of his territory. Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? He complained that Balaam didn't come earlier. He asked if, he, if the money he offered wasn't enough for him. Well, I have come to you now, Balaam replied, but I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. He seemed to finally get the message God was giving him and clearly told Balak the same. So they go to a location where Balak sacrificed some cattle and sheep and gave some to Balaam and the other officials who were with him. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up to Bamoth Baal, and from there he could see the outskirts of the Israelite camp. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Israel had no idea that their enemies were scheming against them, but God knew and was actively on their side defending them.
We have no idea how many are those who are against us, but God does, and he protects us from the unseen dangers. Unlike this greedy prophet, God is not fickle. He has intended to bless Israel, and he will do so. If God is for us, who can be against us? Here we see the angel of the Lord appear, and his word is used interchangeably with God. So he's not just an angel. Jesus himself was leading the children of Israel through the desert as the angel of the Lord. Any time God chose to appear to people in human form as a theophany, they were always surprised they lived to tell about it. Examples are Hagar, Abraham, Jacob, Samson's parents. God opened Balaam's eyes. Balaam may have thought he was important because he was in demand and God spoke through him. But then God made a donkey speak, which must have humbled him to be rebuked in such a manner. Peter used this incident to describe false teachers. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam the son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. In order for us to see the dangerous situation we are in and the beauty and hope of the gospel, God must open our eyes. We must be humble servants and not be puffed up with pride. Balaam was greedy for profit, for he was a prophet for profit. But we must not peddle the word of God. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Numbers chapter 23. May God bless the study of his word.